Thanks. I like the darkness. Hey, that slide up there, we don't need it. We're done with 2 Timothy. She gone. Just, make, just take it off the screen. I'm going to wait. There it is. I was just kidding. I mean, we are done with it, but I wasn't mad. Um, hey, this morning we had the opportunity to honor a big chunk of our graduates. Two of them weren't in there. I think Andrew was serving somewhere else. And uh, where's Caden? He, I saw you. He's, he's right there. And so uh, he, he's a... Uh, he splits time between other churches. He's a foreign missionary. Um, we, we love that. So we got two more that need to come get these Bibles. Andrew, Caden, you guys come up here. You, you, you're walking the stage in five days, right? Where's Steiner at? You got to stay up here, though. You got to stay up here. As you come up here, you got to stay up here. Um, I, I spoke this over them earlier today and to you guys also. Uh, it's, their Bible, I mean, basically looks like this. Um, and on it, it's the same thing that we did, is your initials uh, there on the front. Not because um, we care about your name, honestly. Not because we don't, but because all these Bibles look the same. And it's going to help you to determine um, whose belongs to yours. So what's your initials? Car. Yeah, it spells out car. So his Bible just says car on the front of it, um, which could be confusing to some people. But uh, we wanted to put your initials on there not because of your name being important, but just to be able to tell them apart from others, because what's most important is what's on the inside. And uh, I don't know if you guys know, this used to be Paul's Leather Company. Um, now it's Sola Scriptura. They changed the name of that. And this is what they do. They make Bibles. They handcraft Bibles for people. They're, they're covered in leather. They take a regular binding off of it and recover these. And then a big portion of what we give them to pay for that Bible goes to foreign missionaries. And so they're supporting Bible translation and missionaries around the world. But one of the cool things about that is that Bible has a lifetime warranty on it. And so if it ever needs to be recovered, we send it back to those guys there. They recover it for you. And that's our goal, is that you would take advantage of that because you are diving into, and maybe it's not that Bible, maybe you hate that Bible, and you're just, you put it on a shelf and you just look at it. Um, but we want you to, to be reminded to every day engage with God's Word and wear this thing out and take advantage of that warranty. It's a weird way to say that, but we want, we want those guys to be calling us going, how come your students are tearing up their Bible so much? <laughs> Like, well, I mean, now they're adults, and so we expect them to do grown people, make grown people decisions, but also they're just engaging in it and tearing it apart. Um, and so that's our challenge to you as seniors as you get sent out to wherever the Lord is taking you. Um, I know a big chunk of, of both of your stories and what God's doing. I'm super excited about the spaces that he's giving you, and even like some of the spaces that you get to come back to. Um, all of these things are really cool. But this is what, also what we did this morning, if you weren't here with us, we gave our graduating seniors an opportunity, one minute to share wisdom, insight, something you learned, something that you love, something that you hated, um, just some sort of charge to people who are looking at you, who are going, hey, they've done it, like they, they've graduated, they're being sent out. Um, and so this is, this is an announcement, Mike, guys, if you care, Luke, this is Mike too. I'll let you go first, Caden, and then uh, hand that off, just, we're gonna, we're gonna time you um, to see how long this is gonna take. But just any, any words of wisdom, it could just be, you know, thanks and gig them, and then, and then roll out, whatever you got. So the only thing I can tell you is I look out here and I see a bunch of people who honestly are giving time to God and don't take that for granted. Like, don't sit here and say, oh, yeah, I'm going on Sunday night just because my friends are there. Oh, I'm going on Sunday night just because I like to be around people. Go on Sunday night because you want to learn more of God's character. Go on Sunday night because you want to know more of who God is, and then allow him to talk to you. Allow him to be your everything, and it will radically change your life. 
if you want just a glimpse into something that he's doing, come find me because my story's crazy <laughs> and it's because I said one yes and then I said two yeses and then I just kept on saying yes and now I'm about to live my dream and have no idea how it happened. And it's all glory to God because I said, okay, God, I have nothing. Here I am. And I encourage each and every one of you to do that. Okay, so first of all, I honestly want to say thank you to John because a lot of what I've learned in college has really come from his preaching and just boldness of speaking the word. Um, and conversely to Caden, um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing next semester or this summer. Um, and it kind of highlights even what I've learned throughout my entire time here at college is just that it's, it's not about me. Um, the Lord has really taught me a lot of humility coming into college and just how many things I didn't know that I thought I knew about life and about the scripture and about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, um, so silent plug, if you want to get plugged in with youth ministry, it teaches you very quickly how to be humble. <laughs> but um, even still, like like Caden said too, just get plugged in because something John challenged me, it, it felt personal whenever I came here first, is that, excuse me, um, find a church, make that church your home. And so what that means is you get plugged in with serving and you get plugged in and know the people and you know the body. Not just the people in the college ministry, but the families here at the church, because they have a lot to bless you with as well, and you can bless them back. And so, um, yeah, again, it's not about me, it's not about Caden, but it's all about Jesus. So, you're, uh, you're not off the hook yet. I'm going to let you guys move a little bit apart from each other, because I know you're either a part of a Bible study, a part of a ministry, you have some friends in the room. Here, you guys stay up here. You have some friends in the room. Um, and, and I had to, I had to live through this today, Jason, um, sneak attack on me and people praying for me. We're going to spend some time praying for them. So if, if these are, if these are your people run up here right quick, um, and they should be surrounded. So get up here, make it known, just straight up tackled. You, you don't have to choose sides. That's fine. You can take the, the, the approach that DJ Caleb did. And, uh, we want to pray for them right quick. I love it. I'll let you guys start, you pray out loud, and then I'll close us after a few seconds. Ready, go. Yeah, there's no better picture, um, even what we're going to look at tonight, of you calling people, of you drawing people to yourself by your spirit and you sending them out um, to make an impact for you um, in places that, that I will never be able to go, that many people in this room will never be able to go with a story that none of us have, um, but something that you're writing in, in their life. 
um, to make you famous as you continue to draw them uh, to yourself. And so we ask that uh, for both of these men and for, for all of our graduates this year, um, for people that you're just sending um, all over the place, that you're calling into unique spaces um, for your glory. May we remember that. May we run towards that and walk in that, being led by your spirit um, to make an impact for the gospel um, just around the world, longing to see a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, reflecting Jesus to people that so desperately need it. And so would you give them strength, we pray. Um, for your glory, we pray by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks, guys. Give them a hand. I mean, they did it. They, they did it. Grab a Bible. We got a little bit of work to do. Um, as you're, as you're grabbing a Bible, we're going to kind of just be hopping around through a lot of Paul's letters. We start in Ephesians 3, but we're going all over the place. I want you to follow me too. And so just be ready. These verses are not going to be on the screen. So if you want to see them, uh, you got to open your Bible to them. Maybe take some notes in there. I also have to uh, apologize to the freshman guys. I told them that freshmen never win. Um, I also told them that I wouldn't cheat. I was just praying uh, by the grace of God somebody would beat them. And it didn't happen. Um, so uh, way to go. Like you guys earned that. Um, your food got downgraded when Max screamed uh, an obscenity at somebody. Um, it, we were going to the Brazilian steakhouse and now it's like, nah, we're going to Chick-fil-A. And so um, no, you, you can apologize to him. What'd you say? The Lord's chicken, uh, which sounds weird. Um, but... Uh, we can claim that. And so, uh, but congratulations, guys. Uh, I love that you're passionate about that, Max. Way to go. And sometimes we just, somebody needs to be screamed at. Uh, just maybe not that word. So, hey, Ephesians chapter 3 um, is, is where we're going to jump off. And, and this is what we do kind of on this last week. You show up on day one, we challenge you. Some of you stick. We walk through scripture together. We get to like the end of a year, um, and I, I kind of get sad and, and emotional um, I, love, I love this time and I hate this time because a lot of you are staying here, thankfully, and still doing school and just hanging out. That's sweet. A lot more of you are being sent uh, home. You're being sent to camps. You're being sent on mission. You're being sent to, to work. You're interning. There's all of those things that are happening. And, and that's why we do this. It's just really why we do this. I love the fluidity of college ministry. I love the creativity that comes with that. I like that we have to engage with different classes in different ways. We can't just write one script and stick to it. It's just going to look different all the time, and next year is going to look different. Um, I love the culture in our ministry, and I think that will probably stick, but even then, like people affect culture, and I'm okay with that. There's some things I'm just not going to hold on to, uh, but I've loved this season. It's been, it, it, it's been one of the things that you, you don't know. We caught a little glimpse of it this morning. We sat here, and it reminded me of December 2019, and we stood in here, and our student pastor at the time, Mikey, just prayed, and he said, God, would, would, would you take what's happening here and multiply it into this space where this room would be full of college students? Um, not just a trailer, as we were meeting over there in 1A, all right? He said, not just that, would you multiply it so that they were having to meet in this space? Would no other room hold them? And the Lord brought that to fruition this year, and there's still like space for that to happen. We believe, like we're hoping that that continues to happen, um, but but I, I leaned back today, and someone sent us a picture of our prayer time this morning. Um, and, and I kind of leaned back today, and I went, like, I, I'm good. Like, God, God, if you're done, like, you're good, and I'm okay. I don't want you to be done. I want you to continue to impact the lives of college students. I want to be able to send them um, out into spaces. I believe that you've equipped us and, and gifted us, and you've surrounded us with people that can help do that. I don't want to be done, but, but I come to this little space, and I go, okay. How can I charge and send out college students 
with God's word uh, to make an impact wherever they go and trust you with the Lord this summer just for him to do whatever. And then if you come back and, and you've just been changed by that and you make our ministry stronger, you make another ministry stronger, then, then thanks be to God. But, but this is, I, I have to steward what he's given me right here and trust him with the summer. And so when I, when I think about you guys, when I think of the people in the room, I think about the people that are even absent today getting ready for tests and other things, what, what's the word that comes to my mind? What, what's the word that I see for you? And just asking the Lord for that. And, and we, we've used this word before, but, but it's, it's playoff time. It's the greatest sports season. All right, You got NBA playoffs, you got hockey playoffs, which are fun. You got, you got the, the, the first month of baseball, which is so confusing. Um, the Rangers are winning now. It's weird. Um, <laughs> There, there's a lot of cool that's happening, and you don't have the noise of football. We all love football, but now you get to focus on other cooler sports. And so um, all, of these things are, all of these things are happening, and when I think about you, I think in sports terms, I just go, I'm surrounded by a bunch of game changers. I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that can, with their gifts and their talents, can impact the world in a way that I would argue that no other generation is going to be able to. You're coming off of like your post-COVID hangover and, and all of a sudden, the world's opening back up to you, and you get these big eyes, and you're just going to start running. We're sending some crazy people into Japan. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> Talking to that missionary, and he's like, hey, who are you sending me? I'm like, uh, good luck, bro. Um, <laughs> just kidding, me in. Uh, and so he's going to bring a trophy now. It's going to be bad. <laughs> um, and, but I, I've never experienced something like this. Just being honest, like we've had really, really sweet, unbelievable seasons in ministry, and I've never experienced something like this. We're going to we'll probably scratch the surface of why God's doing that a little bit, um, and I got to get into this or we're never going to leave tonight. I know some of you have tests, um, but, but I just, I'm, I'm thankful for the season, and I know that we're surrounded by people that can just change the world. You're literally game changers, just ready to go. And so uh, just hold on to that. Let me read you this. This is, uh, we're going to look inside. We're going to look at Paul. We're going to look at how God used Paul and, and maybe be a motivation to you. Um, we hang out with this guy a lot. It's one of my favorites, but I want to point out some things in his life. N.T. Wright, uh, who is just like the expert in our culture of Paul, uh, says this, human culture is normally developed at the speed of a glacier. We moderns, accustomed to sudden changes and dramatic revolutions, need to remind ourselves that things have not usually worked this way. Slow and steady has been the rule. Occasional inventions that suddenly transform human life for good or ill, the will, the printing press, gunpowder, the internet, those things are rare. That is why the events that unfolded 2,000 years ago in southeastern Europe and western Asia are still as startling in retrospect as they were at the time. An energetic and talkative man, not much to look at, and from a despised race, went about from city to city talking about the one God and his son, Jesus. Setting up small communities of people who accepted what he said and then writing letters to them, letters whose explosive charge is as fresh today as when they first dictated. Paul might dispute the suggestion that he himself changed the world. Jesus would have said, had already done that. But what he said about Jesus and about God and the world and what it meant to be genuinely human was creative and compelling and controversial. In his own day and even after, nothing would ever be quite the same again. I, I don't want to put you 
in the same category as Jesus. But I want to encourage you with Jesus' words. He says, hey, that, that now that you have the Spirit, you can do even greater things than I did. And, and so I want to put you in the position of, of Paul and some of the things that happened in his life. And a guy who I will argue is probably the greatest human, non-deity, that was on this planet. Because from his life and from his actions, nothing was, was the same after that. And he goes on to explain what happened in his life. And we're going to jump around through a lot of scripture. And so just be ready. We're going to let the Bible speak for itself. This is Ephesians 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, like I love that he's less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. This is what happened for him. And if we were to do a little poll in here, and, and if you were to name like the three greatest people who ever lived on this planet, Paul would be in my top three, if not my top one. And, and oftentimes we think of him as just like a missionary church planner. But the dude was a genius. Literally a genius. He wrote a chunk of the New Testament, which is the most read book of all time. It's not even close. He, he likely, we don't know completely, but he likely wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. We don't know about Hebrews, but we'll figure that out. I won't, but somebody will maybe when we get to heaven. Um, he wrote 31.57% of the New Testament text. 31.57%. Those, that number doesn't include Hebrews, which we don't know about. 19.6% of the books of the Bible were Paul's. There are 40 authors, and one of those authors wrote 20% of the Bible. Like, this is how incredible this guy was. Countless things, countless things have been written about him. It's impossible to measure his influence in our lives and in the world. He's an intellectual giant. He's one of the greatest minds that have ever lived. Philippians 3, 4 through 7, you can just chase around through these letters if you want to, says this. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You Benji people out there. The Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Don't skip over that. This guy just said, if I was to be determined righteous by following the law, I am without fault. He's claiming to be perfect in law following. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Nobody can touch him. But what we're going to see when we look at his life really quickly is that there are things in Paul's life that these attributes that he has, the things that he walked through, the 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 struggles that he had and the victories that he had are, that are examples for all of us to follow. And, and I, can, I can teach this to a lot of people. I could teach this to senior adults. We could teach this to youth. We could teach this to a lot. But I don't think that there is a greater, more powerful weapon than that of a college student who is equipped, who is ready, who has the time, who has the freedom, who has the passion to be sent um, into spaces, and I'm, I'm not talking about the other side of the world, although that is a place to be sent, and I believe that all of us are called to go into those spaces, but for a lot of you, you're going to be sent into, into homes filled with lost people, into communities that, 
that are longing for a revival, who need to hear Jesus in a unique way, into, into other spaces and businesses and jobs. You're just being sent into places that you can make an unbelievably powerful impact. So, so why does this guy, who, who we believed is just kind of the stud, why does he, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, say this, although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people? Why can he, why can he say this? We, we see the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll flip over there with you so I know that you're getting there. I'll give you time. As it takes me a little while to find these two. I'm going to get past Romans. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 9, he says this, For I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Paul has zero clue that his words are going to be preserved for eternity in the scriptures. At least I don't think. We have no evidence that this was happened. And this dude puts every apostle on blast. By the grace of God that I am what I am, and by his grace toward me, it's not in vain, but on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about the other apostles. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This is why he considers himself to be the least of all of the Lord's people. Why? Because his job before that was persecute and murder Christians. And so I think he's right to put himself into this space. And a lot of times we think about the story of, of what happened with his, with his change, with the, the Damascus Road thing we're going to read about here in a second. And you go, well, he was Saul, and now he's Paul. You guys know that the Lord didn't change his name, right? He didn't get a name change. Saul was his Hebrew word for the name for his name, and Paul is his Koine Greek name. <laughs> he didn't say, now you have a new name. We pull that from the Old Testament, like Abram got a new name, he got Israel, get, like that name change thing. This didn't happen to him. Because on the Damascus Road, when Jesus showed up, if he was going to change his name, he would have done it right then, but he goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't change his name. It's like 13 times after that conversion, he's called Saul again. And so some of you are like, what? Somebody lied to me. It's a cool teaching illustration. It didn't happen. His life was changed, but his name wasn't. Okay, we good? So you, you know Saul, our, our, our dude here? You can call him Paul, and it still works. Same name. He does it to himself often. Here's his actions, Acts chapter 7. We're going to read a couple of these. Just follow me around. Acts chapter 7. What was he like before? Some of you know these, this story pretty well. We're going to start in verse 54. When you look at the bold titles and it says the first Christian martyr, and then we understand who's involved in this. This is the first one. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Verse 55, he saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, they called out, Lord Je he called out, sorry, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down, and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I love this. Same response as Jesus. And, and after saying this, he died. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul agreed 
with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. This, this is the start of this. And then verse 3. Devout, or verse 2, sorry, devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. But then verse 3, Saul however, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This is pre. Pre-interaction with Jesus, passionate persecutor of the church. He's breathing out murderous threats against Christians. And then you go to Acts chapter 22. Oh, and this, this is a lot of Paul's story through here. And we get to Acts chapter 22 and we read this, starting in verse 3. Here he is before the Jewish crowd. He's before the tribune. He says this. He continued, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, just as you are today. I persecuted this way, that's what they called Christians, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now these who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Verse 11, since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard and now, why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. He has this encounter with the Lord. The Lord deals directly with him, and his life at this point is forever changed. He went from judging and persecuting Christians to being like the most passionate missionary follower of Jesus. He sees himself at this point as he really is. And this switch flips in his head, and the greatest of sinners, and he puts himself in like this, this space where he becomes one of the people that we can model our life after, not because of what he was before, but because of the change that happened in his life. Literally, Paul was changed, not a name change, but a spiritual change in his life. He was one thing, and now he is something different. He is something new. He is something that is restored, and it was nothing that he did. It was not his fault at all. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't handed like the four spiritual laws, or he wasn't stopped by somebody in a colorful shirt. It's like, hey, let me do the three circles diagram. And, and like that wasn't explained to him. He was on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians, and Jesus drop kicks him off a donkey. 
and was like, hey, do I have your attention now? He was changed. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. He was breathing murderous threats against people, and God changed his life. And this is what we see. This is what we see in ministry all the time. This is what we see in you. It is angry people who become gentle. It's anxious people who walk in peace. It's abusive people who become tender. It's lustful people who become self-controlled. It's addicts who are made clean. It's the selfish who are made much more generous. And, And all of these things are true, but hear me. It's not bad people made better. It's dead people made alive. And this is important for you as you walk in this. This change is not like I was... I used to be pretty bad, and then I started following Jesus, and now I'm pretty good. No, you used to be dead in your trespasses and your sins, but God, rich in mercy, provides a way for you to be made alive. You were dead, and then you experienced salvation, and you were brought to life. Like, I love that baptism was just like the theme of the day today, and we got to see that play out in college students and family and, and like in all kinds of spaces. That's life-giving to see and be reminded of that. And for, for Paul... Or Saul, <laughs> like that, that was instant for him. The, the change, I think, was instant. But then there's this process that, that comes along from that where he had to learn to every day be mastered by Jesus. Because hear me, this is true in college students as it is in everybody else. You are an unbelievable, stubborn, selfish, arrogant, sinful, prideful people. Be encouraged. You just are that. You deeply like yourself, and you do not like to change. That's just how you are. And, and this change that he experienced over years, and this change that God is calling you to, isn't like this one time I just happened to be on the right donkey, on the right road, and Jesus just caught me off guard. No, this is a daily, every day pushing yourself down, reminding yourself of the gospel, allowing Jesus to change you, allowing Jesus to change me. Um, and yes, your conversion is radical, But the change, like the real change in order to make an impact for God, really does take a little bit of time. It just does. Like I love passionate people who give their life to Jesus. Like I'm going to go share them with the world. They take off running. And in my mind, I'm going, I've seen toddlers run. It ends up bad. Because you pick up enough speed and your head gets in front of yourself and you eat it. Or you do something stupid like you put your shirt over your head just for fun and you run into a wall. That's just how, how toddlers are. And, and we have to understand that our relationship with Jesus and our impact takes time. For Paul, this conversion that, that happened from like his conversion on the road to becoming a missionary, a lot of you don't know this, it was somewhere between 14 and 17 years where this happened and he went on his first missionary journey. The greatest, I'm going to put him up there, one of the, the greatest men that I see in Scripture outside of Jesus and one of the greatest people of all time, 17 years to be sent? Acts chapter 8, verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. This is Paul. But Saul learned their plan. This is after his conversion. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, when we read after many days, you, you kind of go, okay, this wasn't very long. The, the Bible's kind of funny with this because Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 says this. 
Then after three years, I did not go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. This after many days was about a thousand. It was many days. It was three years that he was hanging out there. So, so after three years after his conversion, he, he did that. And then if you go over to Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says this. When I arrived in Jerusalem, when he arrived in Jerusalem, I'm making this personal, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Duh. Since they did not believe that he was the disciple, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles. Now hear me, this has been three years. They, he brought him to the apostles and he explained to them how Saul had been with the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish. So he gets sent off, and then Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. And I also went up according to a revelation presented to them the gospel. After 14 years, he went back up to Jerusalem. We get three and then we get 14. At least 17 years, plus or minus, from when God calls him to when he's called to be a missionary in Acts chapter 13. But what is going on during this time? What is, what is going on during this 17-year period? We're, we're not really sure, but we have some clues because the last half of the book of Acts Paul's persecution comes in form of the Gentiles, not the Jews. And so likely the things that were described in the last half of the book of Acts happened during this 14-year period. And here's the things that happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. You've heard this before, but you can flip over there to it. It's, it's good for you to see. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He says this. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toils and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. That, that is his, his life. We see in the last half of the book of Acts his persecution from the Gentiles. We see here his persecution from the Jews that happened. And, and this is par for the course for him. But it's also par for the course for pretty much everybody in Scripture for the most part. Abraham gets this promise from God in Haran. And Abraham is 75 years old when that promise comes. And that promise is you'll be the father of many nations. How long did it take before that happened? Long time, 24 years, basically 99 when he has a kid. And he's not the father of many nations at that point. He's the father of one kid. Two, but. 25 years later, Moses is called to be, <laughs> Moses is called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he's sent into the desert to tend sheep with his father-in-law for 40 years. Moses, you're going to lead my people out. You got to wait four decades for that to happen. 
go live there, work for your father-in-law in the desert, herding sheep. David, who was anointed king, and then is sent back to the pasture to handle the animals for the next couple years, roughly 15 or so. He's chased around and hiding in caves before he becomes the king. Um, Joseph is that way. Elijah is that way. And we can't really complain about God when he kind of hits pause in your life. And he's called you into, into spaces to make an impact for the gospel, but he's also teaching you some things. And so in these spaces, here's what we see in Paul, something that, that you can hold on to. Learn character. Embrace God's faithfulness in your life. Let him continue to prove himself faithful to you. What, what I'm saying and what Paul, I think, declares to us is you can't waste moments. This summer, some of you are going, uh, I just don't know. This is a moment in a space where God can speak really, really loudly to you. Some of you are, on these, are going on these trips that we would look at and go, super Christian, and we're just going to put you on there. You're jumping on a plane, and you're going over an ocean. You love Jesus more. And hear me. I promise, like, those are great things, and we're going to continue to ring that bell. But some of you are being sent into spaces that you called home last year, and then you came and you experienced Jesus in a new way, not for here, but for there. And he's, he's sending you back into those spaces because there's an eighth grade girl that needs a word from the Lord that you're gonna bring who doesn't have a student pastor at their church and just really needs Jesus. There's a freshman guy that you get to go and lead and be like, hey, you were a knucklehead and I, I knew you when you were in eighth grade. You were dumb then. I don't know how you did it, but you got dumber now. And so I, I, I wanna help and I wanna teach you some things that I've been learning this year about Jesus. You get to multiply that. You're gonna go and you have lost parents. You get to be a reflection of Christ too. You're gonna go into spaces that the Lord has equipped and faithfully called you to that are going to be difficult. And a lot of times you're gonna miss it because you step into that and you just go, uh, not about it. And your, your preconceived notion of your situation is not what God has for you. I missed that when I was your age. It took a, a long time in college for God to like bring about the ideas of forgiveness and some other things that had to come alive in my life. And I just don't want you to miss that. In these spaces that you just consider to be like noise and white spaces, like they're just a waste for you, like God is calling you to do something incredible. The same way that we see Paul's life changed and Paul's life being developed in these spaces, that's what God wants to do with you. Because after we see this change happen to him, then Paul is commissioned and he's sent out to do this. This is Ephesians 3. Just keep going. Ephesians 3 verse 7. We're almost done says this, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is part of his call to be a minister to the Gentiles. Um, he gets to live this out. And this is the pattern that we see in Scripture that's, that's spoken so clearly here, that God saves people and then God sends out people. And some of those like sending moments are really, really big moments that we look at, and like we talked about, those are really cool. And some of those are, are the invisible sending that takes place that aren't really that glorified in the church but are so much more impactful. And so don't miss the fact that you have been sent. God saves and God sends people out. Isaiah, meet God. He meets God. He falls down on his face in worship and then God sends him out. The first disciples say, come and follow me. And as you follow me, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm gonna send you out with purpose. 
we are gathered, this is the cheesy way to say that, that we are gathered and then we are scattered. We are converted, as we see in Paul, and then you are commissioned, you are sent out to proclaim the gospel. You are called this summer in every space that you're in, whether you're at Pine Cove, you're at Pine Cove of the City, you're at T-Bar-M, or you're at any of the random other camps that you guys just love to serve at, hurrah, please keep doing that, or you're on mission, or you're with your family, or you're working, whatever it is, you are called in those spaces to live out, to proclaim the gospel, to bring light to the gospel so that people see the gospel in you. And he models this in Paul's life. He models this throughout your life, that as you declare the good news and you commit to explain it, you, you boldly announce and enter into other people's lives and they recognize that you're a Christian and then you make a commitment to be engaged in their lives, then God is just faithful to use you in those spaces. He just is. This is College Ministry 101. Call them up, equip them to work, give them places to serve, send them out to make an impact, and sit back and just see kind of what God does. Like, I love this. And this is what he's calling you to here. It's just the the challenge to believers. And so, would we be like Paul at the end of Acts chapter 26, in the midst of his kind of confession to people, he he says this, hanging out with King Agrippa. I'm going to find it. 26.19, 26.19, he says this. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached. <laughs> and I love that. I preached to those where? In Damascus first. Don't miss this. He's on his way to drag the Christians of Damascus away with government orders. He had the right to do so. And he's standing back before the government official, and he's like, hey, I, I just need you to know this. I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly call that Jesus, when he dropped, kicked me off of that donkey, and he called me to. And this is what I did with it first. I went to Damascus, and I preached Jesus. Yikes. And this is what he's calling you to. Like, there's an, there's an urgency, and you have this little bitty space that he's calling you to be faithful in, if you would just lean into that. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. This is just our encouragement. This encouragement to believers. It's an encouragement to unbelievers if you're in this room. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I can proclaim that over me. This is Paul's words though here. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, so that in me the worst of sinners that Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is what he's calling you to. We recognize our space as the worst of sinners, but as we walk in the mercy that he has shown us, we put on display his patience for us so that other people see it, so that they would believe it, and that they would have eternal life. God commissioned the worst of sinners in his day, and in doing so, he rearranges eternity, and you think that he can't use you. I don't think, I hope not, I don't think that we have anyone in this room that was like, hey, my goal yesterday was to kill all the Christians. Today, I'm a Christ follower. I don't think we have that card that's able to be played in this space. And so when you think about God and his goodness and how he can use you, this is it. Here's Paul's story put on display, and God was kind enough to meet you and to draw him to, or to draw you to himself by his spirit. And we should read Paul's story and we can go, God could use him 
He can definitely use me if I would just pay attention on my journey to be faithful, to follow Jesus. He will continue to make me a game changer. And this is my prayer for you. As I started thinking about this a couple weeks ago, I was going, what, what does it look like? There's going to be people here that I just get to interact with, and thank you, Lord, for them. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. But what I long for is for people to be sent into all kinds of places, on mission, sure, into jobs, sure, to families that were lost, all of those things, and for you to come back and go, listen to what God did. I want to ask you, hey, how was your summer? And I want you to stop and be like, it wasn't about me. Listen to what God did. That's what we long for. And so I want you to be thinking about that. Like, what am I going to come back with? Not for your glory, for God's glory. And in the midst of him getting glory, he promises that it will be for your good. What is God going to do through you this summer to be a game changer? That's the commitment. Recognize where you're at. Recognize what God is calling you to, that his grace is sufficient, that he desires to use you. And and understand this, just like Paul, you have been called, you have been commissioned, you have a purpose. We can bring Matthew 28 into this if you want to. He just tells you to go. And as you go, carry the gospel with you and share it with everybody that you come in contact with, lost and or saved. That's our prayer. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to worship a little bit. Um, and then some of you got to study and hang out and maybe spend some time praying for each other and for this summer. I know Sierra did a, a great job of leading us through that uh, earlier, um, but you may want to continue that. The Lord may have already just like placed somebody on your heart that you know is going to be a hard conversation um, this summer, that somebody that really desperately needs Jesus. You have a fear rising up in you because the Lord's sending you to the other side of the planet, either to do mission work or for some random internship, and you need help in those spaces. Would you surround yourself with people who would be an encouragement in prayer as you are sent? Would you invite people into your story to see that happen? Um, we, we, we talked about this, like, like as game changers. We made the announcement. We did the math. Um, between you guys and, and church members, there was $4,700 raised in about three hours for mission. That, that's huge. Um, you get to be a part of sending people on mission, which is gigantic. We're going to continue to celebrate that. But, but kind of the thing that I like, like more is some of you are going on free mission trips. You're going into spaces that desperately need Jesus. You're going into dark spaces. You're going into spaces that have been absent of the gospel for a long time. It could be a home. It could be a community. It could be friends that you left behind. All of those things the Lord has commissioned and called you and sent you. What story is he going to write in you this summer? I can't wait to hear about it. Let me pray for you. God, we're spoiled. We're spoiled by you. We're spoiled by a ministry that we get to do. We're spoiled by um, young men and women that you've called to yourself that you're sending out. Um, And we're just asking in the midst of being able to see their stories up close that you would use them in ways that they can't fathom, that you would use them to do greater things than they're even asking, greater things than they're even thinking. Would salvation spring up from the ground by their words as you just choose to use them? I don't understand how that works or why that works, but if you could use Paul, you're going to use students in this room. You're going to use students in small communities around this state. You're going to use students in... in in spaces around this country. You're sending students to the other side of the world for jobs and and literally on mission. You're putting people in their path that are going to desperately need Jesus and they don't even know it yet. So would you give them a boldness to walk in that, understanding that they have the authority that is from you that was given to us at that commission? 
that you promise to go with us by your spirit, that you're equipping, that you've already gifted. And so would you give us a boldness and just a trust to know that if they open their mouth, you're the one that's going to bring about fruit. And would they trust you to do that? Would they hold you to your promises? Would they desire to see you move? Would they not be silent? Would they understand like Paul, they're, they're commissioned to be sent out? And would you write a story that, that kind of blows our mind for your glory? We trust you to do so. And we respond in worship uh, to your goodness and kindness over us. In Jesus' name.